Hey, everybody. I'm glad that you're uh, with us today worshiping. What a beautiful day we have to do that, and uh, we're, we're really glad that you've joined us. You know, I want to take just a second. Kim mentioned there's a very important vote that's going to happen next week uh, here at our church for November, on November 1 uh, related to uh, your opportunity to affirm uh, this transition from uh, myself as the senior pastor uh, to Shane Ham, who is right now our co-senior pastor, and uh, that's going to be an important vote. But I, I have to just remind you, there is another in vote uh, that is going to happen on November 3rd. It's just two days after we vote here. Uh, and I know that uh, this is news to you, that there's an election that's coming up here. And just kidding. Um, and so I just want to encourage you to make sure that you're prayerfully a part of what's going on. Do not sit out these elections that are happening. You know, in the United States, there's about somewhere around 65 to 70 million evangelical Christians. And uh, in 2016, 25 million of those folks sat at home and never voted. And, uh, and we know that, in fact, uh, how evangelicals voted had a huge impact on uh, the last election. So I just want to say to you, uh, there is power in your vote. And you know, as Americans, frankly, this is one of the great privileges that we have to be able to choose our leaders and choose the direction for our country. And so I just, boy, I want to I call on you to do your part as a citizen to get out and vote. Now, we never tell you how to vote uh, here because we believe that uh, this privilege that we have is, is really a sacred privilege. But we do want to tell you to vote. And it's not just voting for the guys at the top. One of them is going to end up being our president. But it's the down ballot. It's uh, the, the other leaders. And uh, there are some local issues, taxes and so forth, that are just critical to our well-being. And so I want to challenge you to make sure you go out and vote. It couldn't be any easier this year, frankly, because you've had ballots sent to your home to vote. And so uh, be sure that you do that. Now, what I want to talk to you about today is not about voting in our elections. I want to talk to you about some eternal stuff. And we're beginning a new series Kim mentioned just a moment ago called Transitions. And it's really the process of... In a, in a way that is godly and God-honoring, in a way with integrity uh, and wisdom that we're seeking the transition of leadership uh, in our church from myself as senior leader uh, to Shane Ham, whom you will have the opportunity to affirm next week as the new senior leader at North Point Church. Now, transitions, in fact, if you'll notice, uh, you know, we have a little logo that's a baton in a hand. I want to tell you that in track and field, I was a track athlete in high school, and track and field, one of the most exciting events is something called the 4 by 100 relay, and it's where the top sprinters, in fact, in the Olympic Games, these are the top sprinters in the world, get in a relay to each run, four of them, 100 meters, and uh, the 4 by 100, uh, that's, that's what it's talking about. And I mean, that thing is over almost before you know it, but I'll tell you what we know about relays is those relays are always won or lost in the baton exchange. And more times than not, a team will lose a gold medal because somehow in the baton exchange, it doesn't go off smoothly. And what I want to say to you is that we're right now in the midst. Of, I'm, I'm now running and, and I've hit the spot. If you've done this, uh, I'm running in a relay 
there, there's, a, there's a zone that you have to be in to hand that off. We're now in that zone where the handoff is taking place. And I want to talk to you today about our transition, frankly, from our past to our future. You know, a guy named Leonard Sweet, who is a, is a great Methodist thinker, um, I, I heard him talk one time, and he, he was talking about how churches, um, th- they move from their past into their future. We're always obsessed with our future. We're always obsessed with where God is taking us into our future. But one of the things he pointed out is, is he said, you can't ignore your past because your past is preparing you and it's launching you into the future. And then he used an analogy I loved. He said, you remember when you were kids on the playground and you decided to go out to swing? And the way you would go higher is that you had to lean back in the swing and put your feet up. And the more you lean back, the faster you'd start to swing and the higher you would start to swing. And so what I want to do this week and next, I want us to kind of lean back, if you will, on who we are. But I want us to think about where it is that we're going as a church. Because Jesus Christ cares about our future. And our church has a future. In fact... There's a great passage of scripture if you've printed out your message notes for today. Otherwise, it's coming up on the screen. The book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. This is a special passage to me, I will tell you, because you know our church for its first 10 years didn't have our own property. We met in a school. And uh, we, we got rolling as a church in 1988, sometime around 1993 or 1994. As I was, as senior pastor, the one who was working on trying to help us get a deal on some land somewhere. I knew that if we don't get a piece of land, we don't have a place to stand. And, uh, and it just seemed like everybody I was talking to, they weren't interested in selling property. And I remember it was sometime around 1993 or 94, I was driving on Fig Garden Drive, just about a half mile from where we are on this property here today. And as I was crossing the railroad tracks, uh, I had come from a meeting with a lady named Ruth Ann Dietz, who, was, who you know, knew everybody and knew everything about real estate in Northwest Fresno. And she was pointing out how difficult what we were going to try to do would be. We needed at least 10 acres of land. And I remember as I drove across those railroad tracks, I really believe the enemy of our souls sometimes does this to our minds. The thought hit my mind, what if we're never able to get property? What if this church never has a place that it could stand? And it suddenly just drained all of my energy, drained all of my enthusiasm. Honestly, uh, uh, an anxiety level began to settle in on my heart. And I went home, played with my kids, tried to kind of change my mind, but it bothered me all night. The next morning, I was sitting having my quiet time, and I came across this verse of Scripture. Look at what it says. He who is holy, and Jesus speaks this to the church of Philadelphia, but his word applies to believers of any age. And the Holy Spirit can take those words and speak them. And he did for me that morning. He who is holy and who is true, speaking of Jesus here, who has the key of David, and that means he has messianic authority, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and you've kept my word and you've not denied my name. And you know, that verse was all it took for me to remember that this church belongs to Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus was saying, as long as you're sharing my name and you're staying true to my word, you may be small and you may think you have a little power, but I'm the one who opens doors. And I've opened the doors and no one's going to shut them. So let's talk about what, it, what, it, what does it mean that we're holding on to his word and you know, what is it that we're really all about. I, I want to share some stuff with you today that really, uh, we do this in the 101 class. I want to take just a portion of that class and I want to talk to you about it here today because it's good to sort of stir you up, those of you who've taken 101 by means of remembrance of these things. And those of you who haven't, it helps you to understand what it is that makes North Point tick. Here are some things that are really driving North Point Church and it's, and it's what we call the purposes of God. The purpose-driven life or the purpose-driven church means that there are five eternal purposes that drive our lives. In fact, we just did a series about this a few weeks ago. You can go back and listen to those messages. And in our Constitution, way at the beginning, in 1988, we wrote these purposes down, five of them, but there were four statements that we made. And, And here they are. Number one, that we exist to celebrate God's presence. Now, celebrating God's presence means that we know he's real in our world, he's real in our lives, and it's really to the purpose of worship. It's how we recognize the reality of God, and as we honor him, and as we live for him, we're bringing pleasure to him. It's the purpose of worship. Second, we're educating God's people. We're educating God's people. That's the purpose called discipleship. And that's where we're teaching people God's message and God's word. And we're watching it change people's lives as they begin to live by it. Third, we're demonstrating God's love. We're demonstrating God's love as a church. And there are two purposes that really fit under this point. The first is fellowship and the other is ministry. That we're demonstrating God's love to one another in the body of Christ because this is a forever family that God has put together to love one another and to love him. And so we're fellowshipping with one another, but we're also expressing love to one another and to our world through ministry. And so demonstrating God's love has to do with fellowship and ministry, those two purposes. And then fourth, final, uh, is that we're communicating God's message. And this is the purpose that we call evangelism. And evangelism, literally, the word literally means a good message, to be sharing the good news of what God is doing, that God loves us and he wants a family forever to be with him. And in fact, Jesus tells us our real mandate of why we do these things is Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, if you have your notes, notice those, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always. See, Jesus says, I'm with you in this mission. I'm with you in this thing of evangelism, of going and telling people who aren't disciples yet to become disciples. I'm with you always and I'm with you to the very end of the age. Now, at the very beginning of our church, back in 1988, I remember telling the small group of people, about 35 adults that were part of our church at that time, I remember telling them, you know what? This church really exists for people who aren't a part of it yet. And that's why the purpose of evangelism is so important because 
our mission, everything else we do, it comes back to this thing of inviting people who aren't disciples yet to become disciples. In fact, Jesus said this in Luke 6, 16. He said, the good news of the kingdom of God has been proclaimed. And the kingdom of God means come into God's kingship in your life. And everyone is urgently invited to enter it. See, Jesus says there's a special urgency about this purpose of evangelism. Because if you think about it, those other five purposes, worship and fellowship and discipleship and ministry, we're going to keep doing those throughout all eternity, I'm convinced. But the purpose of evangelism has to happen now because people can't be invited into those other five purposes until they hear that good news about Jesus Christ. For that reason, this is a mission statement of our church. You see it on your notes there. It's coming up on the screen, and it's this, that we're creating a positive faith environment where non-churchgoers, the people Jesus said who aren't disciples yet, where they'll be encouraged to become fully developing followers. That's what a disciple is. Fully developing followers of Jesus Christ at every stage of their life. Now, when our church first got started, frankly, you know, I was concerned with, okay, well, in Northwest Fresno, and that's a population that's frankly now grown to about 100,000 people. At the time, it was about 50,000 people that lived in Northwest Fresno. My concern was, back in 1988, who are the people that are the least likely to be attending church on a Sunday? And what we discovered was that the person least likely to be sitting in a church on Sunday morning was a male between the ages of 25 and 45. And so frankly, we dubbed that person Northwest Nate. And we said, you know, uh, this is the guy that is, if you will, the toughest nut for us to crack here in Northwest Fresno. And, uh, and so he's the guy that we especially need to be thinking about, a male between the ages of 25 and 45. In fact, we just threw a dart right in the center of that and said, let's make the target of our church a male at age 35. Now, we're not saying that our church only exists for males. In fact, the interesting thing is there's also Northwest Natalies that don't go to church, but there's more Nates than Natalies that aren't in church. For some reason, women are more open to spiritual things in the church than men often are. And frankly, Northwest Nate isn't necessarily a white guy. He can be African-American or Hispanic or Asian. It doesn't matter his ethnicity. What matters is the way he thinks. And the thing about Nate and Natalie as non-churchgoers is the way they think is they're, they're asking, are you guys willing to really tuffle the, uh, tackle the tough questions about life and, and deal with the hard things that are really going on? Uh, they're more interested in, in, in getting evidence for our faith, not just appeals to, well, we just have faith in, in what we believe in. Um, they're, they're not so much interested in, is it true, but really, does it work? And how does it work? And they respond far more to reason and rational explanation for the faith than they do rules that you give. And the other thing about them is that they, they want to really be your friend. They don't want to just be a project that you're trying to reach in evangelism. Now, Northwest Nate and Natalie matter to us because these are the people who are the farthest away from God right now. 
And one of the things that's been wonderful through the years, now we know that other people attend our church, and, and honestly, we knew that we're not, we're not just aiming our church to only reach 35-year-old people because everybody's going to get older. But what we knew was, if these people are the toughest nuts to crack, if we can reach them, then we could probably reach everybody else as well. And frankly, all you have to do is look around when you're at North Point, and you'll see that our church reaches all kinds of other people, all kinds of other ages, but these folks have a special concern to us and they always will because they're the people who aren't a part of God's church yet. And we want them to be. Now, what we discovered, the question we really ask is, well, what kind of a church does it take to reach Nate and Natalie for Jesus? And what we've discovered is the most important thing is our style. So what I want to do is I want to show you the style that serves the mission that we have here at North Point. And if you will, this, this helps you explain why it is that North Point feels the way it feels when you show up. Why it is we do some of the things we do and don't do some of the things that perhaps other churches might do. And it's, it's about our style. And I share these with you because I want you to, if you're new here, it'll help you to, to really understand what makes us tick. But I want to remind those of you who are part of things that these are important values that we hold. And you and I help serve the mission by following this style. The first one is this, using positive motivation. Using positive motivation. Now, what do I mean by that? Are, are we talking like, you know, that you come to church and we just want to serve everybody a little happy meal and give them a little happy sticker that they can put on and, and uh, then we're good because, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're making everybody happy and, and we never deal with really difficult and painful and hardship. No, of course not. But what we are talking about are the motivations that flow from three things the Bible says that are eternal. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, it says this. There are three things. These things last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Now, when we talk about having a positive faith environment, we're talking about having an environment where where these three things, faith and hope and love, are major. See, we're living in a time where, honestly, people are filled with despair and they have cynicism and fear and self-absorption. And, and the thing about Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ was a person who showed what life could be like with God's grace and God's help. That's faith. And faith produces hope. And our faith and hope produce a deep love, not just for God, but for other people as we open our life to it. And so what we're trying to do here, honestly, is his. when people show up here, whether it's to a service or to a small group or some activity that we have or a men's event or a women's event, we, we want, if you will, we want to hook a, a mainline IV right into a vein that is dripping faith, hope, and love into people. We want to build those things. That's positive motivation. Second, we're providing practical Bible teaching. And this is a big part of who we are here. In fact, Jesus in his great commission said, go make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I've taught you. And the Bible, and as we help people understand the message of life that is in this book, this book begins to 
renew our minds. And, and that word renew, it means to do a complete renovation, a reconstruction of the way in which we look at God and we look at ourselves and we look at our world and we look at other people. And as we teach God's word here in practical ways so that people learn how to put it into practice, it changes their life. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, We never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas, but you accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. And this word notices it, what it says, it continues to work in you who believe. Now this is huge because Jesus Christ says that as we teach his living word, it changes people's lives. It continues to do work in them. In fact, Jesus said that when we build our lives on his teaching, that it's like building our life on a rock because it's a life that's gonna, that's gonna work. In fact, if I could characterize all the teaching that we do publicly here at North Point, what we're really trying to do here is show people how Christian faith works. And what we've discovered is that Northwest Nates and Natalie's need to understand how it works. In fact, that compels them to want to be a Christian when they see how Christianity works. But I've also noticed that even if you've been a Christian 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you're still trying to figure out how does Christianity apply to my life today? How does it work today? And practical Bible teaching is a huge part of that. Number three, we like keeping things user-friendly here. And so I like to say it this way, that we're keeping user-friendly ministry structures. And what I mean by that is, we want to make it easy for people to get involved in the church. And that's why, for example, we make no apologies for how simple we make our teachings here. We're not trying to dumb down Christianity, but we're trying to make Christianity understandable to those who, for the most part, don't know about it, and they don't know the Bible. And so everything we're doing is aimed at being user-friendly, to level the playing field, to tip the scales always in favor of that person who shows up. And frankly, they don't understand all this stuff. Now, believe me, all of our pastors, man, we can talk theology and ecclesiology and soteriology and pneumatology and eschatology and all, that, all of the ologies but, you know, it reminds me of the first time that I went to get a computer back when computers were kind of a new thing. And I walked in and, I, and the guy asked me, started asking me all this stuff, what kind of operating system do you want? And I said, huh? And he said, well, PC or Mac? And I, I said, well, I, I don't know. What do I need? And uh, then he said, well, it all depends. How much RAM do you want? How big do you want the hard drive? And back then, the hard drives were in megabytes, believe it or not. This was back in the, the you know, the dinosaur age. And uh, I didn't know what he was talking about. And you know when people come to church, that's often the way they feel. They don't have an idea what we mean with some of the big theological words that we use. So we like to keep it simple. In fact, a pretty smart guy named Albert Einstein once put it this way. He said, if you can't explain something in simple terms, then you probably don't understand it very well yourself. And... Uh, and a guy named Woody Guthrie once said it this way. He said, you know, any fool can overcomplicate something, but it takes real genius to make stuff simple. And Jesus had a way of making things simple for people. And that's what we're trying to do is make this user-friendly for people. Now, I want to hit the pause button for a second because what I want to say to you is that 
as a result of this approach, man, our church has grown through the ages. In fact, it's kind of amazing. In fact, I've, I've listed some things here, some key North Point transitions. I'm going to come back to these next week. And so I don't want to take a lot of time to touch these, but we got started in 1988 at Malik Elementary School, just off of Van Ness Extension. And we had really what you'd call a preaching point, where we began to just preach the message and, and, and share the good news. In fact, back then we were called Van Ness Community Church. And within a couple of years, we moved to Tanaya Middle School and, and started doing work there. And then in the 1990s, we really began to move from being a niche, trying to reach you know Northwest Nate and, and Natalie with a specific kind of an approach. And we began to grow. And in the 1990s at Tanaya Middle School, we grew to about 600 in size. We really became a neighborhood church. And that's where we began to reach not just people in the Northwest Nate and Natalie 25 to 45 range, but we began to reach all kinds of people and began to grow. And finally, in 1998, the fold-up church that we were, because we literally had to set up and take down church every single week in the school, became what I call a build-out church. In fact, here's some cool pictures that just kind of show how this works. In the fall of 1998, we built our first building and and you see, you know, where the yellow line is. We, we bought 10 acres of land, and man, we were so thrilled to finally have a place to stand. But it's interesting, just a few years later, about, about 10 years later, uh, we bought additional property to where now we have an entire triangle here of 25 acres of land. And we'd expanded, and, and we'd grown, and uh, we'd grown to over 1,000 in attendance. And then uh, about 10 years later, uh, we, uh, you know, grew more and expanded more, and and today we've grown to a church of about 2,200 people in average attendance and involvement. About probably three or 4,000 people that are actually involved in the ministries of our church within about a six-month period of time that we're ministering to. And that's made us something called a mega church. And I'll tell you, that's been very humbling to me because I remember talking to a very close friend who one time he said to me, you know... Um, Steve, I doubt that you're ever going to pastor maybe more than about maybe 500 people. And, uh, and so I remember praying way back in 1988, you know, God, if you would just be pleased by the time my ministry is over here at North Point Church, if we could just grow to like three times that, to 1,500 people, that would be so wonderful. And look what God has done with us. And you know, it's an amazing thing to me as I, uh, as I look at our, our campus today, when, when I started with us, all we had would fit in a 15-foot motocross trailer that we set up and took down every week. And, and now we've grown to about a $15 million, 25-acre development. But more important than that, our congregation has grown in depth and in ministry. And we now have ministries like Celebrate Recovery and, and incredible children's ministries and student ministries and men's ministries and women's ministries that are happening here. And we're, we're helping develop servants who serve our community and even our entire world through the peace plan. And what I'm saying to you is because we've paid attention to these, these things, our church has been able to grow in the way we have. In fact, a couple more things about our style, if you'll write this down, and that is connecting cultural relevance with biblical accuracy. Those things are very important to us. In fact, years ago, we first moved onto this campus, there was kind of a theme that we used that this is a church for today's living. 
Because, see, we have the conviction that when you come to church, you shouldn't have to feel like you've backed up two centuries. And, uh, and so that's why, for example, uh, in our teachings, you'll, you'll hear us talk far more about athletes and, and movie stars and things that are cultural icons of, of our society today, rather than maybe hearing us use examples out of the Bible, of characters from the Bible. And that's because we're convinced that uh, it, this is why we do the kind of music that we do. We're convinced that when you come to church, it ought to feel like it's life today. And we're talking about what's going on. In the same way that Jesus of Nazareth, the eternal son, became Jesus of Nazareth, and he came at a point in time in a culture and spoke a language and spoke with a mindset of the day that you and I are to be doing that as his church today. Now, that's the cultural relevance part, but the biblical accuracy is huge for us because, you know, if we just try to be kind of a hip church and we try to be in tune with our culture and stuff, that's style, but it's style without substance. But the substance for us is this book. Because Jesus of Nazareth in Matthew 24, 35 said, heaven and earth are gonna pass away. But my word, notice that, they're never going to pass away. See, Jesus says he's always going to be culturally relevant. He's always going to be around. In fact, the eternal truths of his word are the most relevant things that we can deal with because they transform lives no matter what culture they enter and no matter what age. That's why Jesus could say, I'm going to be with you as you're doing this to the end of time biblical accuracy now there's one more thing about our style that i want to share with you and it's this that we believe in accepting people where they are but inviting them to go deeper with jesus you know frankly the lifestyles of (laughs) nate and natalie when they come to us may not be great christian lifestyles that's why they need christ by the way Same way before you began to follow Jesus, your lifestyle wasn't what it needed to be either, but Jesus invited you to start following him because he began where you were, not where he wanted you to become, where he wanted you to be. And we do that same thing because God begins his work within us and then he continues to go deeper and deeper and deeper with us. In fact, on your notes, there's there's an illustration that uh, I want to point you to because what I want to do is I want to kind of give you an example. We, we use it here. We call it a river runs through it and the way it works. And if you will imagine that we, it's Fresno and so it's the summertime. We've gone out to the San Joaquin River because we want to cool off and it's 100 and something degrees. And, and uh, we get out there and we're ready to, to get in the water. And if you will, this diagram I want to show you, the people that are on the bank that are not in the water yet, that's like the community that is around us. About 100,000 people live in the Northwest Fresno community. Uh, but, you know, our church reaches regionally. We have, we have people who come from, you know, Clovis. We have people who come from Easton and from Riverdale and from Kerman. And, you know, people who come from Firebaugh. People who drive in from Selma and Kingsburg. And, and you know, so our church reaches far wider than just our neighborhood. But just in our neighborhood... In Northwest Fresno, there's 100,000 people and 60% of those people don't attend anybody's church regularly. They're the community that's on the bank. And what we want to do is invite people to be a part of what's going on here. And when they show up and do that, they become a group that we call the curious. 
Maybe somebody keeps inviting them to come to one of our services or they invite them to come to a women's event or a men's event or a student's event or a children's event or they just keep driving by this campus and they see things going on here and they think, man, what's happening over there? So they're curious. And they come and if you will, they, they, they want to like dip their foot into the water to just see what it's like. And, and what we've discovered is that by creating a positive faith environment here, People who are curious begin to typically start just casually attending. Maybe they come back. And uh, they may not come back every week, but they start attending North Point and they become casual. And you know what happens as you step into a river, a current, you begin to feel the, the current pulling you in a direction. And what happens here is as people become casual and they're experiencing the faith, hope, and love of Jesus Christ they start becoming more consistent. They start realizing, I'm not getting this anywhere else. And they become a consistent seeker after God and consistently wanting to know more about him. They're going a little deeper, see? Because the spirit of God is drawing them deeper with Jesus as he's calling them. And then there comes a point at which they cross a line that I call the convinced. They actually say, you know what? I need Jesus Christ in my life and I need his word in my life and I'm going to live my life for him and I'm going to follow him and I want to belong to his church. I want to be a part of what he's doing. They cross that line of being convinced and when that happens, they're beginning to be among the committed people. Now they're committed to Christ, committed to his word, committed to his purposes. But Jesus keeps drawing us for the whole rest of our life. You see, we're fully developing followers. We're never fully developed. We won't be until we get to heaven. But he keeps calling us deeper, to know him deeper, to love him deeper, to serve him deeper. And what happens when people really get into the deep water? Man, they become what I call the contagious. Now, I realize that may be kind of dangerous to talk about that during COVID-19 because, you know, being contagious is not necessarily a good thing. But what we're talking about here is contagious in our love for God, contagious in our desire to serve him. In fact, you know, the Bible says that that's the whole purpose of leadership. We're, we're talking about transitioning leadership. The whole purpose of the leadership of the church is to help people to discover how to be servants in love in our community and in our world. Ephesians chapter four, the scripture says Jesus gave to the church, he mentions leadership gifts here, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And notice the purpose of these church leaders, look at what it says, it was to equip, and on your notes you ought to circle that word equip, to equip God's people for the work of serving and building up the body of Christ. Now that word equip is really an interesting word because when it says that Jesus walked along the seashore and he called the fishermen to follow him, it says that they were mending their nets and they dropped their nets and they began to follow Jesus. The word mending there is the same word in the Greek that the New Testament was written in as the word equip. It means the same thing. And you know, to me, this is a beautiful picture of what the church is really supposed to be all about. In fact, I will have to tell you, this, this, has been, this has been one of the goals of my ministry and teaching, and that is that the lives of God's people as they 
come and become a part of the church that God starts mending their lives. He starts by his grace and with faith and hope and love, he starts putting their lives back together. And as their lives get mended together, they become a net. And that net catches more fish. It brings more people into the body because our lives are being mended to be servants in the world. Now, I just want to ask you today as we wrap up this message. You think about, you know, these currents and going deeper with Jesus Christ. I just want to ask you, where's Jesus calling you to go deeper with him today? Will you go with him? There may be some of you that you know, you're still just very casually checking all this kind of stuff out. I'm inviting you to become a consistent seeker. Keep paying attention. Seek, Lord, and just say, God, if you're real, make yourself real in me. Jesus, help me to really know you. And maybe there are some of you, you know, you've been kind of consistently seeking, but you've never crossed that line to be convinced to say, you know what? I want to follow Christ. I want to be baptized to declare my faith in him. Here at North Point today, after our 11 o'clock service, it's a baptism day, and we do baptisms regularly. In fact, man, we'd love to hook up with you at your pool, at your home, if you're ready to declare faith in Christ and be baptized to declare that you're putting your life in Jesus all the way. That's the commitment that's involved in following Jesus. But maybe there's another area of commitment. Maybe there's a way in which you know it, because Christ is speaking to you today, where do you need to take that next step to go deeper with him? Take it, my friend. This is what this church is here for. It's here to encourage you to follow Jesus and help you as you do. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Wherever you are in your home, you may be listening at a, sitting in a Starbucks. Perhaps you're outside somewhere and just listening to us on your phone. I want to invite you right where you are to do business with Jesus and ask him to take your life and use you in a big way for his purposes because my friend, he'll do that if you'll let him. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you've done in this church. Thank you for uh, the way over these last 32 years you, you have done some incredible things in the lives of people and you're using us in incredible ways as we seek to be your servants in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our community here, in our state, in our nation, in our world. Lord, we just want to offer our lives to you and say thank you for letting us be a part of something eternal. Thank you that we can build our lives on something that is uh, it's going to last and it's going to last forever. And so help us, Lord, to live for you and follow you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.